the glory because he is uh, the Alpha and Omega, which um, is yeah, something we kind of throw around, but uh, there's a, a unique uh, glory and majesty and bigness about the Lord God. And uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to worship him this morning together. Um, I want to pray uh, and then we'll, we'll start to get into God's word. Father, we come before you uh, once more, God, uh, to ask for your grace, Lord, to ask you to to speak to us in your word. Father, we pray you uh, show yourself to us, God. Uh, Father, we pray you speak to us. We want to hear from you, Lord. So we pray you'd speak to us, Lord. We pray that your word would convict us. Father, we pray your word would teach us. God, we pray your word would build us up, encourage us, comfort us, God. Father, we, we pray you would use your word the way that you always do. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, it, it's been good to, to worship with you guys already today. If you don't know me, I'm Tripp, one of the pastors here. Um, it's been great to have John back. Um, if, you, if, if you wanted to preach, you should have preached, though. Because, um, and uh, Mo, can you just remind me, where's Mo? Can you just remind me not to preach on a week when he's coming back in town on vacation? Because this is sermon number two and a half, two and a half, three for you right here. Um, uh, I, I do want to talk about what John already pointed out. Uh, we're going to continue in this You Are series, and we're going to talk about the fact uh, that we're adopted by God. And So I'll, I'll continue on. You'll get an idea of, of what I'm saying, but I, I want to start uh, by talking about this uh, biography that I read a couple years ago about Steve Jobs, it is um, creatively titled Steve Jobs. Um, Walter Isaacson wrote this. It's really long, and I really brought the book up here so that y'all would be impressed that I read a book this big. It's uh, 600 pages, and I read all of them. Um, and I, apparently I got it for 30% off at Target. But this book about Steve Jobs, the reason I read it uh, is in part because there were a lot of unique things uh, that he did. I mean, he was able to, um, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't a, a coder or a designer, but he did all of these uh, incredible things, uh, ordering people around and making them do the some of the best work of their life. And uh, there, there's so much interesting stuff I learned while while reading through this biography. He, he was a genius, and when he died, people were, were mourning, and people began to compare him to the Einsteins and the Benjamin Franklins and people who made uh, incredible uh, contributions to to human life. And uh, his life was really interesting kind of from beginning to end because there were things as I read the book that I was like, that's amazing, that's inspiring. There were other things I read that, man, that's a great example of what not to do. Uh, but, But it was still worth reading. One of the most interesting things, though, about the biography for me was that uh, he was he was abandoned by his family when he was born. So he uh, so he was an orphan and he was adopted. So he was this kid who um, really had nobody to care for. Uh, And then there was this family who was wealthy, who was doing well, not wealthy, but uh, this family who felt they had enough to be able to take somebody else in. And this kind of loving family from from California brought him in and they treated him like his own son. Uh, his his adopted dad, he was an engineer, and so his uh, his dad taught him about uh, the the kind of quality of things that should be made. Taught him to love something that was made really well, and and his parents made a lot of sacrifices to kind of give him every opportunity. And and uh, 
what they did for him really shaped a lot of, of who he was. One, it gave him the chance. It gave him the opportunity and the kind of way that they kind of let him do whatever he wanted to do, uh, put in his mind that he could do anything he wanted to do. Uh, so that's part of why he was able to do amazing things. That's also part of why a lot of people probably wish his parents would have told him no more often because people didn't always enjoy working with him. But the thing that I found really interesting about that was the, because it, his parents made out of an act of kindness and compassion uh, to adopt the child. Because there's a child here who, uh, who has lots of needs that they're saying, I'm, I'm happy to meet. There's a child who has nothing to offer them. There's nothing that they get from it. They said, I want to adopt this child. And that's one of the really interesting things about adoption. I mean, I, I know uh, families in this church right now who are going through this process of adoption. And what's so interesting about it is you have people who have no obligation uh, to a child and that willingly choose to take on obligation who have no responsibility to anybody, but decide they want to take on that responsibility, right? Who see a lot of needs, and they're willing to take on those needs. And to me, and that really is the, the beauty of adoption that happens 100% out of pure kindness and compassion. Um, I want you to know, though, that adoption, this concept of adoption, is not something that we came up with, right? This is something that... Um, that when we adopt, uh, we're really modeling ourselves after God himself. God is the original adoptive father. And, and God's adoption is similar in a lot of ways to ours in that God never uh, has to adopt anybody. He's under no obligation, right? And, and no one has anything they can offer God uh, partly because he owns everything, right? What in the world could we ever offer God that he needs from us? We can't meet his needs. But we are desperately needy, and God just willingly agrees to meet needs and adopt, right, which is incredible. But here's, here's the main difference. When we adopt, uh, we're adopting kids who we don't know, who we have no relationship with. God is not adopting random people who he meets. God is adopting rebels who've offended him. God is adopting sinners who've committed crimes against his glory. God is adopting beautiful but broken sinners. And the thing I want to drive home is that there's no, there's no adoption like God's because there's no love like God's, right? No one else could adopt in the way that God has. And so as we continue this You Are series, I think it is important uh, to think about who we are because it shapes what we do. And if we misunderstand that, we'll, we'll spend our life on the wrong stuff. And so we want to talk about the fact that we're adopted. If you'll turn to... Romans chapter 8, uh, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. I say this every time I preach, no matter what book I'm preaching from, but if you haven't read Romans, you should read it. It's really good. Um, where we are in Romans 8, I mean, what Paul has done is he's laid out just a lot of really big truth about who God is, what God is like, and what impact uh, that should have on us. And he's talked about the fact that we can be justified and made right with God just by faith in Jesus, even though we've sinned against him. And, and Jesus has done something about the fact that we're separated from God. And in Romans 8, which is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, um, Romans 8 talks a lot about suffering, and it talks a lot about uh, a kind of contentment and hope in Christ in the midst of that, and so uh, here in Romans 8, he's, he, he's been talking about the, uh, yeah, what, what it means to live and to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. And so uh, we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 17. I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Romans 8, verse 12, is what Paul says. This is God's word. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors or under obligation 
We, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Well, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons, led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Here are verses. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And that's such a good passage. So comforting. I mean, I could just read that and sit down and we would be encouraged by it. Uh, But here's what I think the main point of that passage is and the main thing I want to drive home is that when we think about salvation, sometimes we think about it, um, we kind of reduce it and and we think that the only thing God is doing, the only thing we ever praise him for is just rescuing us from danger. He snatched us out of a burning building. That's all he did. I, I want you to know that God didn't just take us out of danger. He took us in as his family. God didn't just snatch us from danger and save us from something that could harm us. He took us in and he adapted us as his family. And there's some big implications of that I want to look at too. And the first one is this, that we have God as our father. Because we've been adapted by God, because he's decided not just to take us out of danger, but to take us in as his family, we have God as our father. And this is just one of the beautiful things about Uh, Being in relationship with God, he's our father, which is tough for a lot of us to hear because we don't all have good relationships with our fathers. A lot of us have rough relationships with our fathers. So when we begin to come to scripture and we see um, we see God refer to himself as father, what comes to mind is not always warm and fuzzy thoughts. And so here's what I want us to, to try not to do. What I don't want us to do, don't just put on God whatever kind of father relationship you have. And also don't assume that you can't relate to God as Father, right? Instead, what we should do is um, we should look to Scripture to reshape the way we think about what a father should be like and how we think about that category. And for those of us who do have rough relationships with our Father, this is an opportunity for us to glory in the fact that we have a heavenly Father who's absolutely perfect, who never leaves or forsakes, who never disappoints. God is our Father. Um, And some people may find that kind of strange to say that, Um, we're adopted by God or he becomes our father. Uh, Because you may say, well, of course, we have God as our father. God made everybody. We're all, he doesn't need to take anybody in because we're all children of God. Um, And to that, I would say, eh, I don't know if that's what the Bible says. So if what we mean by that is like uh, Acts 17, Paul's talking to, uh, he, he's talking to some people who don't know God, and he, he refers to everybody as, hey, we're, we're God's offspring, M- meaning we came from God, we're, we're descendants of God because he created all of us. So in that sense, we're offspring of God. But when the Bible talks about being children of God or being in God's family, it doesn't use it as loosely as that to just kind of mean everybody God's created. It means particularly people who are in right relationship with God, who've been adopted into his family. So when the Bible starts to talk about a, a child of God, it's not going to say everyone is. And maybe you think I'm being harsh, so I'll let the, the Bible speak. This is Jesus in John 8 talking to the Pharisees. He says, uh, you don't have to turn it. I'll read it. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So he, 
Here's what he's saying. He's looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, you guys have shown me who you are and you're liars like the devil. He's saying, therefore, you're just like your father, the father of lies, which seems really harsh. Right. But one thing we have to understand is how the Bible uses uh, these terms like son and children. It uses it in, in, in a lot of different ways. One way it uses it is basically. Um, so in, in these times, so say I lived around the time of Jesus, what my dad did as a profession would likely be what I would do. So if my dad was a carpenter. My dad could build stuff. I would likely be a carpenter. Now, if I was the same me, I would fail miserably at that job. But that's what I would do because you usually did what your dad did. And so in that way, when people thought of someone who's a son of somebody or a child of somebody, they thought not only are they descended from them, but they look like them. They do what they do. Right. So he's saying, you guys, you Pharisees are liars. Right. Your life is uh, is saturated with lies. He's saying that's your father. That's who you look like. And the Bible says that we, we, we're not naturally just sons of God in the way that we live and uh, what we do with our lives. Uh, Ephesians 2 says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work. The Bible says this, this kind of thing over and over again. We're not born children of God. All right, and we're not in right relationship to him. Being a child of God is not like just being born into your family where it happens automatically to be in God's family, there has to be a change. There has to be a a new birth. There has to be some kind of conversion. You you don't get to be in a family of God just because your parents are, because your friends are, just because you want to be. God God has to adopt us. And how does that happen? John 1, verse 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. Uh, Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The way we get to be adopted, the way we come into Christ's family is by faith, is by receiving him. So imagine God the Father as this very wealthy philanthropist who offers to adopt every single human being on the earth. And the only thing that he requires is you receiving his son. Um, anybody can be in the family of God, right? So if there's somebody you're thinking of, like, I know I could be, but not them. That dude's a mess. Not her. I know it. Anybody can be in the family of God. It just happens by receiving him, right? Receiving him by faith. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who believed in his name. God doesn't require work from us, just faith. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie, the animated movie, Meet the Robinsons. Anybody ever seen that? Me, me either. I haven't seen it either. I'm a grown man. But I, I, uh, I read about it, though. And um, I've heard that in this movie, the main character is this little kid named Lewis, and he's an orphan, and he's like a genius, too. So he makes all these inventions and stuff. So, But he wants to be adopted. His, his mom gave him up when he was a kid. He wants to be adopted, and people come and they want like cute little babies they don't want this kid and he's kind of weird so he he gets this uh meeting with the family who wants to adopt a child and he's like i'm really about to wow them i'm gonna bring this invention i made and so he brings this invention it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich maker you can tell this is an animated movie and um and so he's like, yeah, yeah, let me show you this. And so he does it. It messes up. It sprays peanut butter and jelly all over them. And then the dude is allergic to peanuts, and his face swells up. 
and uh, his wife pulls out an EpiPen and stabs him with it, and it's just going really bad for Lewis. And so they're like, hey, we got to go to the hospital, but we'll, we'll think about it. We'll let you know. And so you feel for the kid because he's in a position where he wants to be adopted, and he's feeling the need to perform and to show how adoptable he is. Right? So he's like, look, look at all the stuff I can do. Look how amazing I am, hoping that someone will like him enough. Well, I want you to know that's not how God's adoption works. God doesn't wait for us to be able to come and present ourselves to him. God doesn't set up a one-on-one interview with us to assess our cuteness or how useful we are for him. That's just not how God adopts. We don't have to do these sit-down interviews to be a part of his family. We don't have to sit around and wait and wonder if anybody will ever feel kind enough to adopt us. We don't have to worry about him running out of grace before he gets to us because there's no limitations on how many children he can adopt. He has riches of grace and mercy. We don't have to convince God to do what he delights in doing. He just asks us, trust Jesus. And he adopts freely. And and this is at the heart of what we believe as, as Christians. And so when it comes to adoption, um, When it comes to adopting uh, children, Christians should be leading the way in adopting children. Uh, Of all people, those who have been adopted by a God who adopts his enemies, we should be at the forefront of this, right? Because this is what all kind of Christian morality is built around. We have a God who made us in his image. We're not like him. He saves us to make us more like him, and we're to live like him. Right, He saves us to, to show off what he's like. So God, God is love, and we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors, right? God shows us mercy. We're supposed to show mercy. God shows us grace. We're supposed to show grace. And as those who are more familiar with adoption than anybody else, we should be showing that same kind of love and compassion to others. Uh, just as last week, uh, I was in Haiti. I was in uh, Haiti uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I, I was there with an organization and one of the things they do is they work with uh, orphanages in, in the country. And so uh, we got to go to a few of their orphanages and, and got to meet some of these kids. There were kids who, um, one of them, one of the uh, orphanages, all the kids, uh, their parents had died in the earthquake. Um, all of them. So uh, there was this lady who, a believer, um, she, when the earthquake happened, she knows all these children are without parents. She goes and scoops up as many as she can uh, and kind of starts to try to get them in one place and to feed them and and take care of them. And this organization is able to come alongside her and help her. Uh, There was one kid who they found on the side of the road. He literally had worms crawling out of wounds in his body, no one to care for him, uh, half dead. And and this kid is there smiling brightly, friendly, and doing well. And the reason that happens is because people who are impacted by the love and kindness and compassion of God show that same love and kindness and compassion to others, right? So we should be those who see those who need care and have needs, uh, who meet them because our God has been such a great example of that to us. We should be leading the way in that. All right, back to Romans 8. I promise we're going to be in Romans 8 for the rest of the time. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I wanted to give you that stuff at the front to make sure you understand what I mean, what we mean by God's adoption of us. So Paul is talking to these believers and, and he's saying, look, you, you have been adopted into God's family. And he wants to remind them that they have God as father. And it's interesting what he says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery. That's a weird thing to say. 
What does he mean by that? I don't think he means the the way we'll kind of say things sometimes, like that city has a spirit of poverty over it, or that brother had a spirit of the demonic over it. That's not, I don't think what he's talking about. I think right here, he's saying um, we have all received the spirit when we trusted in Jesus. He's saying the Holy Spirit that you received is not a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. Right? That's not what the Holy Spirit is like. Right? He's saying, um, this is like if a parent tells kids, like, hey, money don't grow on trees. They're not, or we don't have a money tree. They're not saying money trees do exist somewhere. Or if they say, hey, the kind of bank account I have doesn't just replenish itself. Uh, so I have to work to make this money, so I'm not going to spend it all on you. The kinds of things good parents say all the time. There are no bank accounts that actually replenish themselves, though if there are, please let me know. I would love to have one. It's a hypothetical just saying that's not how accounts work. And he's saying, he's not saying there is some spirit of slavery out there that some people have received. He's saying that's not the Holy Spirit that you receive. The Holy Spirit that you receive, right, is the spirit of adoption, right, that leads us to call out to God, Abba, Father. All of us, when we were converted, received the spirit that we were baptized in and and dwell with and, and reborn by. And the Holy Spirit is so important to the follower of Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, nobody in this room trusts in Jesus. Nobody thinks Jesus is attractive. Nobody wants to know God. Nobody's eyes are open to these things. Nobody's singing these songs to God. God, the Spirit, is the one who works that in us, who draws us to him, right? Who, who draws us to love God, who opens our eyes to see. And that Holy Spirit that we have is not a spirit of slavery, right? So here's what it's not saying. It's not saying there's no sense in which we're bond servants of Christ, like Scripture says. Um, what he's saying, because there is a sense God, uh, God is our master, Jesus is our master, we take our orders from him. But he's saying we're not slaves in the sense that God, uh, you know, uses us to get stuff done. Or we get used and God gets free labor. The way we typically think of slaves is like cowering before their masters, afraid to get beat because they're mistreated, afraid of what the master might do. They don't look upon them fondly or serve out of love. It's just fear. They're just trying not to get beaten. There's no relationship. Paul is saying that's not the kind of relationship the Holy Spirit gives you to God, right? Which is sometimes what we think our relationship with God should be like, like, God, I'm going to just keep trying to do good stuff, afraid that you'll hurt me at every turn. I don't want to relate to you in any kind of loving way. Just please don't hurt me. Paul says, no, no, you, you don't have the, the spirit of slavery that leads you to fall back into fear. He means that fear that we're going to be judged and condemned and punished by God for our sins. He's saying, if you know God, if you're a child of God, you don't have to live every day in fear, right? You don't have to live every day in fear because your sins have already been paid for. Here's a beautiful truth that I was thinking about as I studied this. It's true for everybody in there who knows Jesus. There is no wrath of God left for you. There is no anger of God left at you. There's no punishment of God left for you because Jesus absorbed it all. Jesus paid for our sins in full. There's no extra that you need to pay. There's no extra wrath that you need to absorb. Jesus did it in full and it was sufficient. Right? So you've been adopted into God's family. And Paul is saying you don't need to fall back into fear because Jesus had you in mind at the cross. 
If you know Jesus, Jesus had your lust in mind at the cross. He had your pride in mind at the cross. He had your anger in mind at the cross. Whatever it is you've been struggling with this week that's burdening you, that makes you feel, uh, Jesus had that in mind and paid for it at the cross. If you're a child of God, your sins are paid for. We don't have to live in fear. right? We don't have to wonder if, you know, if, if maybe I fall asleep and die in my sleep and I didn't confess every sin that I've ever denied, then I might. That's just nowhere in the Bible. God says we do not have to live in that kind of fear. And not only uh, has he broken that fear that it should have over he's also broken the power over you that it has. Jesus not only killed sin's consequences for that future day, he also killed sin's dominion over your life in the present day. Right? Sin has no power over you if you're a child of God. That's, that's really good news. Jesus took care of it. And so some of us, this is why it matters to understand who we are, that we're children of God. Some of us live our lives like we don't know God. Right? And we live in a way that doesn't match with the fact that we've been adopted by God. We're living like we don't know God. And it doesn't make sense. An uh, analogy somebody told me when I first got saved that still clicks me to this day. It's like, look, if you was working at Kroger and you got fired and now you're working at Albertsons, it makes no sense for you to bag groceries at Kroger. That's not your job, right? right? You, you have obligations in a completely new place now. You have a completely new boss, right? And so sometimes we live as if we have no other choice other than to sin against God when the truth is it has no power over you. Right. You, you have a new master and he's a good one who points you to good things We're, we're children of God. And this kind of we don't have the spirit of fear. Here's the thing, because the greatest challenge that we had, the, the greatest foe that we had because we opposed God. God is for us now. That's why scripture says God is for us. Who can be against us? This means when stuff happens in our world, that's scary. It can be scary, but we shouldn't freak out like the sky is falling. The greatest threat to us has already been taken care of by Christ, right? And no one can take that away from us. And that's really good news if we're children of God. One more thing on the fear thing. Sometimes we can think, I know God isn't going to condemn me every time I fall. I know God isn't going to try to kick me out of his family every time I fall. It's not helpful if people feel like they know that, but they think God's people will. Now, it's not helpful if we create an environment uh, where people know that if it's if anyone's aware that you have any sin at all in your life, then we won't call a meeting of the whole church. You didn't pray yesterday. Let me call the pastors. Right. So this is not to say we're not a family who holds each other accountable, helps each other to follow Jesus. But we don't want to be as self-righteous and graceless. And we don't want people to feel like it's never OK to not be OK among this family. It is OK to not be OK because none of us are OK. We have different degrees of not okay, but none of us are okay, right? All of us are looking forward to the day, right, when we'll be okay. Right now, all of us are a mess, right? And so that's what this family is. All of us are a mess, and we're like, you're a mess, me too. Come on, let's try. Let me help you, because I'm a mess too. Like, that's, that's what we're doing, right? And, and that's, that's the point of uh, this kind of accountability is not just to say you're a mess and I'm not. It's we're both a mess, and we need each other to do this, Right? No, we've been adopted by God, and because of that, we're in this family together. And he says, in the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We know that spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit. He says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
right? And, and the Holy Spirit enables us to know and worship God. It is striking that Paul, the, the words he used that we should cry out to God, Abba, Father, um, it's striking to me that those are the exact same words that Jesus uses to talk to God. So you have Jesus, the perfect, sinless son of God who holds the universe together by the word of his power. Eternity past, millions and millions, I mean, there's no time. And then there's us. I'm 28. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess, right? I don't, I don't understand how the world works and God does. And me and Jesus address God the Father in exactly the same way. Jesus cries out to him, Abba, Father. I can cry out to him, Abba, Father, which says something very deep about the nature of our adoption, right? We have actually been adopted. We've actually been led into the family. That, that's one of the ways we know we're really in. If, um, if like one of my son's friends, like Elisha, so if Elisha comes over to the house and he stays with us for the weekend, he's not going to start calling me dad. It's like, you, you're not my son. You're just over here for a couple of days. <laughs> and if he did, Mo would be at the door like, hey, you know. But we're not like having a sleepover at God's house. He's actually invited us into the family. We're permanent members of the family. We're actually his sons and daughters. So there's no like limitations like, ah, but don't call God that. Paul is saying, look, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, Dad, right? We, we can call God our dad because he is. We've been adopted into his family. And one of the reasons that's incredible is because God is really big bigger than we even imagine, and yet we get to approach him and call him dad. We've been adopted into a son. And, that, and, and that's, that's the contrast between, you know, like the spirit of slavery and the spirit of, of adoption. We don't just relate to God and cower in fear. We come before him crying out to him, Abba, Father. I wonder if you cry out to God ever. Now, do, do you ever actually go before your father? Now, that's what sons do. You know what slaves don't do? Slaves don't ask their masters for stuff or tell them about their problems or issues. Master does not care. Our relationship to God is son or daughter and father. God wants to hear about our burdens. God wants us to cast our cares and burdens on him, right? God wants us to cry out to him. One thing I'd encourage you to do this week um, is to, instead of just stressing out about a situation, Instead of just venting about a situation, instead of just being anxious about a situation, cry out to your father about it. He already knows about it, and he wants to hear from you about it. And he loves to do things in response to our requests. He's called you to do it. God not only saved us, but he also took us into his family. Didn't just take us out of danger, took us into his family. Um, and, and him being our father does have a massive impact on our whole life now and forever. So second thing, last thing we want to look at in here is we have, so we have God as our father. Second thing, we have glory in our future. We have glory in our future. Um, I, I like movies, and I know, though, that it's, it's possible to, to watch a great movie with a great plot and, and great acting and, and all kinds of stuff, a great movie, and to still leave dissatisfied. There are two ways that can happen. One of them is if you're in a movie and you're with a bunch of loud people who are making commentary on the movie. Like, bro, this is not your podcast. We're in the movie. I don't want to hear your commentary right now. Uh, the other way is if somebody spoils it for you. 
one thing I don't understand is how come you went to see the movie on opening day and you're tweeting the ending right now? I didn't see it yet, bro. Don't do that to me, okay? I want to see it. But then if you already know how it ends and then you watch it, it's a waste of time. You don't feel no suspense. You're not like, man, is he going to die? Because you know he doesn't die at the end. None of it matters. There's no suspense. Your heart rate don't get pumping. You know, a good time when it's good for the, for the story to be, uh, for there to be no suspense, for you not to wonder how it ends, is our actual life story, right, and how the universe ends. Here's a spoiler alert. Jesus wins in the end, right? And here's the other thing. Not only is Jesus victorious, but the other sons and daughters of God that God has adopted, Jesus brings them right along with him, right? So he's going to tell us exactly how this ends for us. And here's the thing. We cannot make it through the difficulties of every day and every week if we don't have an eye towards eternity. If we think this is all we have, of course we're going to freak out at every turn, right? If I think this is all I, if I think this is my inheritance, then of course it has to be perfect. This is all I got. But if we know this is actually the worst it'll probably be, we have something much greater, it allows us to persevere through stuff. I remember, uh, and I had a, I said something similar to this last week, so it's going to sound like I play video games all the time, but I don't. But I remember in college, I was playing um, NBA Street. We hadn't played it in a long time. We had like a PlayStation. I was like, let's play NBA Street. And we were playing, and uh, first game, I killed him. He was like, okay, let's do it again. So we played again, and I killed him again. And he was like, you want to keep playing? I was like, yeah, 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 I like this. And um, as we kept playing with each game, I got more excited for more games, and he got less excited. And let me tell you, at first I was like, eh, I could play, but let's, let's try. By the end of it, as each game started, I knew how it was going to end. I was going to win, so I had a lot more joy all the way through. I was enjoying every dunk, every alley-oop, and everything. And here's the thing. It's much easier to be up and down and stressed out and anxious when we think we don't know how it ends, but we do know how it ends, right? Here's what he says, verse 16, 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So here Paul is still talking about, (coughs) excuse me, Paul is still talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit. So when the Bible talks about our spirit, the human spirit, it basically just means our inner man, right? The the internal part of us, um, the immaterial part, right? We're not just made up of skin and bones and stuff. There's also an immaterial part, a soul or a spirit. So he's saying the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit, the inner man, that we are children of of God. And what he's saying is what's happened with this adoption has gone much further than just some external actions. What's happened with this adoption has actually made a difference very deep uh, internally for us, right? What's happened is, is not only did we just start coming to church, but there's something that happened in our souls with the Holy Spirit made clear. You've trusted in Christ. You're a child of God. You know the living God now, right? It's by the Holy Spirit, even that the stuff that shows with children of God even happens. The only reason you care to know God or you want to think about how to love him or you grieve over your sin, all of that is by the Holy Spirit. I I really hope uh, that in our daily lives we do not sleep on the incredible gift it is that God would give us his spirit. Not only to just talk to us every now and then, but to indwell us. Right. He's in us. He he guides us. He opens our eyes. He he leads us. And here is clear. He's he's given us assurance that we're children of God. It's a good thing to be confident that you're a child of God. 
right? It, it changes the way you think about things. It's a good thing to know that you're children of God, especially um, as we think through to the future. So he talks about us being heirs, right? He says, we're children of God, and if children, then heirs. And you know what an heir is. An heir is... Uh, uh, someone who receives something from from their father get, gets an inheritance. So, you know, if there's a king and he dies, the heir to the throne is the next one who takes the throne. If there's someone with a big fortune, that heir to that fortune, when that person dies, they, they get all of that fortune. And what Paul is saying is not only are we heirs, not only do we have an inheritance, we're not heirs of some little human king. We're not heirs of some little billionaire. We're heirs of God, right? And what we have is much greater than a earthly throne is going to end or some fickle money that's going to end. He's saying we have an inheritance from God. And he says we're heirs, uh, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So there's again, um, what Jesus purchased for us on the cross was not second class sonship, right? We know we're children of God, but we think we're actually like stepchildren, like he left us in a house, but he don't really care about us that much. No, what Jesus purchased on the cross was for us, when we adopted as children of God, to get all the same stuff he gets. Our standing with God, we get the standing that Jesus earned. Our eternal joy, we get the joy that Jesus earned. Right? Eternal grace just poured out on our head for an eternity. That's what Jesus earned. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus will reign forever. Scripture even says we'll reign with Christ. I mean, this is what... uh, uh, Scholars will call it great exchange sometimes. Like, we messed up. Jesus was perfect. All the messed up stuff we deserve, punished for our sins. Jesus took that for us. All the good stuff he deserved, righteousness, righteous standing before God, eternal life, we get that stuff, right? Jesus makes a transfer of everything he has in his account to ours. Uh, and, and that's really good news for us. We're co-heirs with Christ. And look, if, you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope. Um, I hope you understand how incredible it is that God would say that as far as righteousness and goodness goes, our accounts are empty, but that God is so gracious that he'll just fill our accounts with the righteousness of Jesus, right? That we can't really just earn forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but God is so good. He sent his son to earn it for us, and we just get it just because we believe in Jesus. All we got to say is, I'm not righteous enough, but he is. Let me grab a hold of him. Right. Let me try to be like him. Let me follow him. Let me trust in him. Right. Let me not try to pay for my own sins. Let me trust that Jesus paid for him. Let me not try to defeat death. I can't do that. Jesus did that for me. Let me not try to defeat the devil. Jesus did that for me. It's saying I can't do it. But Christ did it. We get to be co-heirs with Christ. And here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, if you only leave with one thing, I don't care if you leave and you remember my name and any of the songs we sang. If you leave with one thing, we want you to know what it means to know Jesus. So if you have any questions about that at all, please come grab me or John or people at the doors who would love to talk to you about what it means to know God, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, how you can be adopted into God's family. We are heirs of God and we are fellow heirs with Christ. Our inheritance comes from our father, the, the father of lights. But it seems like he puts a little caveat at the end, right? He says, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Some of y'all were like, I love the sermon to that, to the suffering part. Why would he say that? Provided we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Basically, he's saying, look, of course, you, yes, all these things are yours. You'll get this inheritance as long as 
you actually are believing, you trust in Christ, and you're willing to endure the suffering that comes your way because of it. When you look in Scripture, the only path to glory for those who follow Jesus is through suffering. When you have preachers who stand up and say, just believe in Jesus right now, and it'll be happy all the time, and then you just get heaven, and it'll just be happy again. That is just nowhere in the Bible. And, and if we're following Christ, Scripture is really clear. Uh, the path to glory for Jesus went through suffering, and it'll be the same thing for us. Now, this does not mean that we just go around just trying to find suffering for ourselves. Like, I'm trying to get into heaven. Can you hit me real quick? Don't do that. That's not in the Bible either. Um, that suffering will look different for different people. Um, some of us, it, it could be intense persecution for our faith in Jesus. But even if not, there are different levels and kinds of suffering. And for some of us, the suffering that we'll endure is a suffering that comes from fighting against your sinful flesh every day of your life to keep trusting and following Christ. If there is never any pushing against the current or any tension in your following of Jesus, you may not actually be following Jesus. Because Scripture says the road to glory is, is through suffering. God is our father. We do get, we are heirs. We do get an inheritance, but he's not our sugar daddy. He's not just throwing stuff at us when we show up like, God, I want this. Just give me that. God, I want this. Just give me that. That's just not how he's laid it out in scripture. But the good news is that there comes a day when we'll have, uh, when we'll have eternal life and we'll pour riches of grace on our head for an eternity more than we could imagine or think about or long for. And that's really good news for so, you know, again, uh, there's a God in the heavens um, who's so compassionate and loving that he'll adopt sinners who've done nothing but sin against him, and he'll do good to them. And, and, and our goal, when we talk about our brokenness and our sin, is not just to, like, uh, have real condemning messages or have people just, we just want people to feel guilty. What we want to do is we want to be like the Bible is, honest about our actual state. Right? We don't want to pretend that we're good enough to just earn it on our own. And we want to point to the loving kindness and grace of our God who gives it freely, who paid for it himself, who's made the way himself. Uh, and, and that way is Christ. And if you're here today and you're a child of God, find comfort and encouragement in that. You have a loving father who loves you very much. And again, as you go throughout this week and this stuff that's difficult, I pray it'll help you to work through it as you remember that it's not just a, a random guy in the clouds who's in control of all this. It's your father who loves you very much, who's promised to work all things for your good and for his glory, right? And that realization will change everything for us. We have God as our father. We have glory as our future. Uh, God doesn't just take us out of danger. He takes us in as his family. Uh, and my prayer is that throughout the week this week as well, we'll love each other as family, brothers and sisters in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much again for, for your goodness, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time to gather around it, God. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray that you'd help us to be impacted by and comforted by and encouraged by the, the sweet adoption uh, that we have in Christ. Thank you for making us heirs with him, God. Father, help us to live this week with an eye towards eternity, Father, rejoicing in what you have for us. God, pray for my friends here who don't know Jesus. Uh, God, that you'd show them Christ. God, we, uh, we want more than anything uh, for them to experience the same love uh, that you've shown us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.